Mum Talk Series 5 is supported by Bugaboo. 20 years ago, Bugaboo started a stroller revolution, changing the game with innovative products that had at their heart the desire to make parents' lives easier. Bugaboo continued to invent, develop, test and manufacture truly revolutionary products. Made to use every day, designed to last a lifetime. There's a Bugaboo pram, pushchair or stroller to suit every family's needs. Bugaboo know that it's not always easy, but that it's always worth it. They get that you're a parent and a person and with their extraordinary products, you've got this. Visit bugaboo.com forward slash mumtalk. Hello and welcome to Mum Talk Series 5, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. On this podcast, I share my journey of literally having no idea what I am doing, from pregnancy to life now with a baby. Through the podcast, I am joined by not only incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. You can trust in Mum Talk to be honest, real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments. Maybe you have a cup of tea with your feet up or perhaps your jogging shoes on and you're off for a stroll. Whatever and wherever you may be, thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk, Series 5, Episode 6. And this week I am lucky enough to have the opportunity to speak with Annika and Sarah. So Annika is a UK midwife and together with Sarah they are founders of Komu, the digital postnatal support service. Now originally we were going to chat about postnatal and the expectations around what you can expect from health visitors and midwives postnatally. But we are also talking about prenatal and what you can expect if you're going to have a home birth or you're going to go into the midwife-led unit or you're going into a labour ward. We're talking about body and preparation for birth. We're talking about baby checks once you've had birth and what you can expect postnatally. Um, We're talking about baby poo, breastfeeding, things like introducing your baby to your sibling, lots and lots and lots of stuff, including recovery after birth, having sex post-birth. We talk about so much. So this is a really great podcast to listen to if you are pregnant pregnant and you are making those decisions about where you want to have your baby as Annika just gives us a really great overview of what you can expect from all the services out there. Now bear in mind that these really do differ from where you're located in the UK and and your support service so take them as an overview and then perhaps ask your um, midwife or health visitor some questions when you see them next. Let's get into it. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Write any questions that you have down as you go through and DM to me or pop them into the Mum Talk story box, which I'll put up on stories and I'll make sure they get through to Annika. Enjoy. I'm very lucky to be chatting today on the podcast with Annika, who is a UK midwife and also Sarah, and they are both founders of Komu. Am I saying that right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Brilliant. Which is a postnatal, um, what would you call it? Um, oh, I think we'd call it like a digital support service because obviously we have 
two arms do we have our postnatal digital kits but we also have um annika who is actually on maternity leave at the moment but um she offers sort of an online support service from her um, private midwifery point of view for new mums and dads so fantastic we're going to come back to all of that towards the end of the podcast but it was a wonderful opportunity for me to have annika on the podcast and sarah to chat about everything around pregnancy and birth and also postnatal and as we've been led by a lot of your questions that you've sent in as the listener so thank you very much for those um so let's start off with having a birth in a birth center or a labor ward now I was just chatting with Annika and Sarah saying you know it really helped me when I was going in to have um Amaldine we went to a birth a midwife led birth unit um seeing the room there was a digital walk around that we can do and just knowing a little bit what to expect so Annika has mentioned that a lot of the different hospitals and the midwife units do things very differently but we're going to try and talk around what you may be able to expect when you go in for your birth and we will hopefully touch on home birth as well if that's okay because Annika I know you have just had a home birth I I had a home birth with my first one I actually went midwife led birth center with my second oh that's so great so I've maybe you can share both birth. your experiences yes <laughs> I can indeed and I have to say they were both very positive um very positive experiences and very straightforward so I was I'm very happy to talk about those should that be helpful in our in our sort of um in our chat yes please that would be brilliant so perhaps drawing from some of your experience then um on your latest birth to gorgeous little Romilly um how what was what was your experience like what could new mums perhaps expect if they're going into a mid with midwife led birth unit so that is uh, obviously a very lovely big broad question yes <laughs> i think the sort of the first thing to say is obviously the reason um for for choosing a midwife led birth unit is for um mummies who are wanting more of a home away from home um uh, sort of environment for them to have their birth um so hopefully with sort of less um obviously the way birth centers are equipped is for um the safety of mummies and babies but also to provide you with an environment that is um hopefully as close to your home environment so therefore when you are in labor those lovely um oxytocin hormone that's going on with your contractions sort of stays at a nice equilibrium um so you go into hospital having the same strong contractions so i realize i've got ahead of myself a little bit then um but what one can really expect from um or when to sort of um uh, go into your birthing unit um when you're having your antenatal um visit uh, appointments with the midwife normally around 30 34 to 36 weeks you'd start talking about sort of what you're wanting from your birth and um, what sort of environment you'd like to be in and that's a really good point to um, start sort of making a little bit of an uh, a plan about what your uh, expectations are and then the midwife can talk to you obviously about them so they I'm so sorry. I'm getting my. I'm think I'm running away with myself here, Emma. No, it's perfect. It's perfect. Run, run away. 
Um, so, yeah, at the sort of 34, 36 week um, visit, um, it's a very good idea to yeah ha- have in mind what you would ideally be wanting um, in the forms of pain relief. So on a birth centre, um, it's very much alternative forms of pain relief. And by saying that, I mean things like water most birth centers will have some pools so it's a good idea to just have a little talk with your midwife and explore whether that's something you would be up for whether it's to use as pain relief or whether it would be actually to deliver your baby in the water um other things to talk about um would be things like um, massage is an excellent form of pain relief um bringing your own music with you so you have the right sort of sound ambiance around you to try and promote and keep the sort of oxytocin going strong also things like a tens machine that's the um, electrical nerve stimulation um pain relief um and it's a really good idea to actually um if you're if you're going to go down that line um to think about that earlier because most of the places you can hire them from you hire from about 36 weeks and um, obviously or you can buy your own so it's about sort of preparing yourself for what you think you might like to have pain relief wise and and obviously nobody knows but what's a good idea is to explore it because if there's something that you're sure that you don't like the idea of that's a brilliant thing to actually you know for the midwife to know um and you know you should be able to talk and question your midwife about these things the pros and the cons of them um I obviously don't know how it works in every hospital because every hospital works differently. But um, I know you said, Emma, in your one, they have a virtual tour of the birth Mm -hmm. centre. A lot of birth centres do also offer um, proper tours where you're booking, let's say, on a Monday night and they'll take a group of 10 of you around um, in in order to give you um, a good idea of of what the birth centre is is like and so you have actually been there you know how to get there so when actually things do start off you're not thinking oh my gosh where am I going you know what floor am I going to and all those sorts of things um so that's a really good idea that if you can book on a in, on a tour do do that or ask the midwife you know if I go online to the to the hospital to the birth centre site can I take a virtual tour um Yes, because as you mentioned, Emma, it, it gave you um, great sort of relief that you'd actually sort of seen a picture of where you were going before you got there. So you then realised you were in the right place and that made you relax, which it, is excellent. It did, absolutely. So how might a birth centre differ to a labour ward? So it's mainly to do with um, who is there. So for starters, um, birth centres will um, only accept low-risk women and and sort of low risk what that just means is a straightforward pregnancy really so if somebody um has let's say um you know type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetic they are not suitable for a birth center because there's a number of other things that we need to be running alongside the labor in order to keep their blood sugar stable Mm -hmm. so it just means the sort of straightforward pregnancies people who are wanting um and and less less um uh, sort of more alternative forms of pain relief so a birth center is run by midwives um, that is not to say that obviously if something happens you can if it's an alongside birth center so alongside a hospital um, you that there are the staff the medical staff if needed be they can come to that area um, but in a standalone birth center you would have to be if, if something um, happened during the course of the labor you would have to be moved to a hospital labor ward um, whereas on a labour ward, you have um, doctors and you have midwives um, and you have obviously um, every form of pain relief. So that would also include an epidural, which is um, anaesthesia 
that stops one from feeling the the pain of a contraction or the um, sort of discomfort from a contraction. Does that make sense? Completely. And then how about home birth? So in the preparation and the lead up to birth, um, how would that differ for a home birth? So that is that is quite different um, in the fact that you will normally have a sort of, uh, again, hospitals differ, but quite often um, there is a community caseload team. So you will normally have a midwife who you will see. Um, you know, as as let's say your midwife, and she will um, sometimes work in a partnership. So there'll be two of them, so they can share the on call, um, or they'll work in let's say a group of three or four. So you could have one of those three or four midwives looking after you for your labour. So normally you will um, be going to the um, let's say the I don't know the children's centre or the community midwifery for your appointments but normally for the last couple of appointments they'll do some at your home um, and that is normally to just um, for the midwife to know where she's going for them to um, drop off also the um, the delivery pack and the um, and the emergency drugs to make sure that the environment is safely prepped for you to have your baby once you are 37 weeks because obviously if anything happens before that that's classed as preterm and you'd have to go into the hospital for that delivery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, they, they, they would normally come to your home to drop off the birth pack, um, drop off the, the drugs, if, um, which obviously are just there as a precautionary measure. Um, and um, they will the, – and the, the, the main difference, sorry to say, is that obviously when you are in labour, you still need to let your midwife um, – so let's say with the birth centre, you may well have called up the birth centre and said – I've started having contractions, I'm feeling my baby move, I'm contracting two times in 10 minutes, they're lasting 30 seconds, I'm coping okay, and you're calling them to let them know that, you know, your labor is starting. And then as your labor starts to sort of hot up, you would give them a call and you'd be saying sort of, is this the right time for me to be coming in? I feel it's really strong now, I would like to come in. And the midwife on the other end would be saying, yes, fantastic, please, you know, make your way in now, bring your notes with you. And we look forward to seeing you in half an hour or however long it takes you to transfer. Mm -hmm. With your home birth midwifery team, you would be ringing up your midwife and telling them how you're doing and they would be coming to you instead of you going anywhere. So you stay in your home environment, you stay doing whatever you're doing, and you're in constant contact with the midwife. So normally, let's say um, you you ring up and, you know, labor's really starting to um, go brilliantly and your contractions are increasing, they're getting stronger, um, and you'd ring up your midwife and let her know what's what's going on. And she would be like, brilliant, I'm just going to pop in the car or however she gets to you. And she would come to you and she would be the first one to um, sort of assess you. So that would very much involve her seeing how you are through the contractions, talking about how you're doing, you know, um, looking and observing you physically as to how you're coping with it. And then what she may well do is want to do an internal examination. And depending on that, that would determine whether she calls her second midwife. So for a home birth, you will always have two midwives. You may well only have one come to you initially, but you will always have a second midwife who comes to be there um, when your baby is being delivered. So let's go on to postnatal care. Um, And if we can, I'm assuming that postnatally, if you've gone to a labour 
labour ward or a birth centre, that's very much the same. And how about a, a home birth? Perhaps we could cover those those two, essentially. Absolutely. So with the um, sort of labour ward and birth centre, um, normally what happens after you've given birth to your to your baby is you will either, um, on a labour ward, you'll normally be transferred down to the postnatal ward, um, which is the sort of post-delivery ward where all the mummies and babies are. Sometimes if you're on a delivery um, uh, suite or birth, sorry, so on a, a birth centre, um, you will st- you will get to stay on the birth centre, but they will normally move you to one of their postnatal rooms or you might alternatively be moved to the postnatal ward as well, depending on beds um, and how that all sort of gets allocated. Um, but sort of the role postnatally um, is, is basically to make sure that you and your baby and your other half are feel sort of, um, I say confident, I think that's maybe a bit of sort of an overstretch of the word initially, but, um, <laughs> you know, you're starting to get to grips with 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 being the the, the first sort of steps of, of parenthood really um so that very much involves if you're breastfeeding support with breastfeeding um now i know you said emma that when you sort of left um a hospital you 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 didn't you you hadn't breastfed or you had breastfed but but you weren't you hadn't done it that much yes yeah, so i had breastfed um but i hadn't kind of been shown as such how to how to do it and nappies and things like that so I think it's super important for all of us as new parents, myself included, um, because I think it's amazing what we forget when we've just given birth to our little ones, um, is that we get either for the first time being taught how to do it or we, or second time, even third time, you get a refresher because actually when you're looking after a three-year-old, going back to newborn is very, very different. Um, so it, what, what we're looking for is we definitely want to make sure, we should make sure that we've seen a breastfeed for sure because you want to make sure that the little one is, is is sort of latching on properly to the breast and that there is some sort of colostrum transfer and that, you know, you as a mummy know how to hold your baby and get it on. So please, if that is not happening, do talk to your midwife and, and ask your midwife for support and or the health um, support worker. So normally in hospital, there, there's there's two different people on the postnatal ward. There's midwives and there's health health healthcare um, support workers and they should all be excellent at supporting you with breastfeeding alternatively if you're bottle feeding they should be able to support you with that as well um, and that's really really important because obviously that's the the new nutrition that your baby is getting and it's very important that they they feed and that we and that you know that in the first you know um 24 hours the baby can be very very sleepy um and uh, and the first 24 hours is a bit of sort of a golden period where you don't necessarily have to be making your baby feed sort of you know eight times in that 24-hour period however the next 24 hours so from 24 to 48 hours we want to be seeing at least eight feeds in that in that in that 24-hour period to ensure that your baby is getting enough um food for hydration um and and you know maintaining its sugar level Mm. um the other thing, sorry, I've slightly lost myself again as to where I was going with that. Just postnatal uh, so you, care expectations of home birth and also um, hospital. Yeah, so so they should also, it, it works very differently. Sometimes um, uh, what the ward likes to do is what you call a demonstration baby bath. So they will either be doing it with like a dolly um, and like all the new parents come round the baby bath and they watch to see how to safely bath your baby because actually, I think 
you know, it is quite a sort of daunting prospect sometimes as a new parent, you know, holding your, your baby in the water. And obviously at that point, they're very, very floppy. And it's, you know, making sure that you can hold them in a safe position that it doesn't matter if they flop or wiggle your baby's head isn't going to sort of flop into the water um so most places should do what they call a demonstration baby bath as well so um one can go home maybe obviously not having done it but feel actually i i know the principles of what to do Mm. Um, um also we're looking to check that the babies have normally weed and pooed so Obviously, that really does depend on how long one is in hospital for. But within the first 24 hours, we want to see that the baby has passed one wet nappy and done one bowel movement. And obviously, that lets us know that both the urinary tract and the bowel is patent and open. And that's obviously a very important thing to know. Um, Not all babies will have necessarily... But all babies should have done a wee before they leave hospital. Sometimes the um, bowel opening can take a bit longer if they're going to, you know, go home at, let's say, 12, 14 hours. And, you know, the community midwife the next day should then definitely be checking that the baby's done that. Um, Likewise, I think it's checking um, with the mummy that that she's okay, A, in herself emotionally from her experience of the birth and checking, you know, that the bleeding is all normal. That's the sort of the, the... the sort of heavy bleeding one gets from the placenta site um, uh, sort of uh, vasoconstricting and, and then the blood supply sort of stopping there, which carries on for, you know, days, weeks post-birth. post So it's making sure that's all normal, making sure the uterus is well contracted and just, yeah, making sure emotionally that mummy top to toe, top to uh, sort of head to toe is feeling good. Brilliant. And then when you are home um what happens then what can you expect then once you've gone home with your little one so normally the day after you've gone home with your lovely little bundle you will be visited by a community midwife um and the community midwife's role is very much the similar role as on the postnatal ward so they are basically wanting to check the health and well-being of mummy and of baby Um, normally the little one is weighed on day zero. The next day they are weighed is normally on day five and then they're weighed on day 10 as well. So obviously they should talk to you obviously about your your baby's weight and and it being appropriate. Um, One thing to say about the weight is it's very, very common for babies to lose up to 10% of their birth weight. So please, mummies, do not be worried if on day five your baby has lost a bit of weight as long as it's within that 10% bracket of the birth weight, then that's very, very normal. Um, so obviously, yes, they're away, baby. Um, obviously, check, and they should. Uh, the midwife should hopefully be there to see a feed. Um, again, checking the attachment, talking to the mummy to check that what it feels like, to check that her nipples aren't getting cracked or bleeding. Um, and you know, I think a lot of it also is to do with seeing how the mummy is emotionally, because it's a very big. Um, you know, it's a very big change from um, becoming a parent or becoming a the second time or third time parent with, you know, the sleeplessness and the hormone surges. Also, if you've had any stitches um, to your perineum, so that's on the in the vagina, the midwife should check the um, integrity of the stitches to make sure that it's all healing and there's no signs of infection. Likewise, with a cesarean section, um, it's very important the midwife check the scar to make sure that that is also healing very well um, and it's looking nice and healthy. Um, it's very important for her to have a look at the boobs as well to check that there's um, 
um, the boobs are looking healthy and there's no engorgement or so she can give tips about engorgement or to check for um, any signs of sort of um, mastitis. Um, also with the baby, again, it's checking the sort of baby's skin to check that it's of normal colour. So it's very, very common for babies to get something called jaundice um, and particularly in breastfed babies. So it's just to check that the levels of jaundice are, w- are within the realms of normal um, and to, to feel the baby's fontanelles, which is the soft the soft sort of patches of um, uh, skin on the head and to check that they are neither sunken, which um, uh, indicates dehydration or raised, which indicates um, infection. Um, checking, obviously, the bottom for nappy rash and also checking a, to talk to the mummy about the number of wheeze the baby is doing, because um, that's a very, very good sign of hydration. Also to check that the, the poos the baby's doing are changing. So the first poo the, the baby will do is called meconium. That then changes around day two to day three to what we call changing stool, which will be more, um, it starts off black, it then goes to sort of blacky greeny. And then by day f- sort of five, it should be um, what we call semi-formed stool, which is sort of whole grain mustard and, and bright yellow. So just to check that all of those gut changes are happening and that the baby is processing the milk now um, and not just still sort of processing the amniotic fluid that was in its tummy. And then how, um, what is normal for a baby to poo kind of once you've gone past and out the other side of those stages? Because I remember calling my midwife and I think uh, by calling her and saying, I haven't seen a poo for 10 days. And this was after she'd gone through those stages. And I remember being quite concerned, but they they weren't worried at all. So what is normal? That is a very, very good question. So we, um, yeah, so I'm just going to talk about we just for a second. We, your baby should always be passing urine. So we want at least, you know, six to eight wet nappies in a 24-hour period going going on. Um, Poo is very individual, yeah. Some babies, obviously you want to see the transition of the colour and it should stay that sort of, yellow semi-formed whole grain mustardy coloured until the baby is weaned um and but it, it it really does vary so some babies will poo about six times a day to be quite honest and another oh baby will, will poo once every four once every seven days the, the things to look out for is the color of the poo obviously if the baby's poo is changing to greeny um you know it might be a good idea to get your baby your baby checked out also, you need to check for the comfort level of your baby. You're, if your baby has not pooed, um, you know, let's say for four four days or something, the baby's abdomen should still be fairly soft. You know, if your baby's got a really rigid, tense abdomen that, at that point and is clearly in pain, then I would go and see the, the GP or go to your sort of local children's ambulatory unit. Um, you know, you, so I would read the signs of what your baby is like. And have a feel of baby's tummies because baby's tummies should always be sort of nicely soft. Obviously, when you're getting to the and also I, I, I personally would always advise that around the sort of I would around, around the week mark, I would probably go to the GP just to check it's all normal. But, yeah, as you say, you know, the, normally there's nothing to worry about. It can just be your little one's bowels movements and they are all different. Mm, I mean, even Amandine, now she's a year. I think she poos maybe once every couple of days. It's not a daily affair. <laughs> Whereas my son's always done four a day. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) He's got a very active gut. Bugaboo have collaborated with Nuna to create the Bugaboo Turtle by Nuna. I just love the name, it's so cute. And it's perfect for first-time parents. Designed with simplicity, safety and comfort as the priority. 
Bugaboo will now have you covered from that first ride home from the hospital to fun road trips and everyday journeys, keeping things simple but safe and with less chance of waking your baby. Those recognisable Bugaboo white buttons and seamless integration with your Bugaboo stroller make moving from stroller to car or car to stroller so easy. Safety features include a true lock base with triple installation confirmation, a no thread five point harness, a patented Taylor Tech foam for side impact protection. The Bugaboo Turtle is eye size compliant to ensure the safest positioning and security for your child. Bugaboo always pride themselves on comfort for your child and so the Bugaboo Turtle has adjustable head support, signature Bugaboo canopy with mesh peekaboo and a UPF 50 plus smart visor for cosy cocooning. Meanwhile, the washable merino wool insert provides optimal climate control. Oh, they thought of everything. And we've got this for Mum Talk podcast listeners. A 10% saving on Bugaboo products available this month, October 2019. So visit bugaboo.com forward slash mumtalk using promo code mumtalk10 at checkout, capital letters, and choose the pram, pushchair, stroller, car seat, or accessory to suit your lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. Bugaboo reserve the right to terminate this offer at any time. So another thing I wanted to chat with you because I really felt this at the beginning was meeting babies' needs and trying to distinguish between their cries. Because when I first gave birth to Amaldine and she was crying, I remember being so overwhelmed thinking, how on earth am I meant to know what she wants? I And, and having this almost checklist in my mind thinking, okay, she's not wet in the nappy, she hasn't done a poo, she hasn't done a wee, we're fine there. Is she tired? Maybe she's just had a nap. Is she hungry? And having this little checkbox in my mind going through and trying to tick it off. Now she's one and now, you know, we've been together for a year and I've been able to watch and learn. I now know that she has different cries for different things and I would say that probably happened around, I don't know, and she was about five or six months probably. I really started to um, no, maybe a bit before. I can't really remember, but that's very normal, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think as a parent, um, we yeah, we obviously want our child to be happy and not cry all the time, and we and we want to be able to solve it, you know, straight away. And you know, these things they take lots of time. And I think you're absolutely right. I think if we have that sort of little little checklist in our head to make sure that actually we you know they're not dirty they are fed um they're not overtired and all these different things um then then we're making sure we meet the needs of our of our little ones really and it's just very easy for us to sort of um be very very sort of um sensitive and affected by our baby's cry because that's the way our babies get their needs met which is a very clever physiological thing Mm. um I, 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 is that the 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 tact you were wanting me to answer of the question, or absolutely just getting it out there to parents that that is so very normal, and you know you don't, you are not expected to know absolutely. what your baby needs from a particular cry at the very beginning. It doesn't no, work like that. Not at, all, not at all. I think it's all learning. Um, we all learn as we are parents. Um, I think every child is different. 
my my second little girl is 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 a very different character to my son actually and um I was saying to my husband the other day I was like oh my gosh Rordy never did this and (laughs) and I'm experiencing all these different things with her because she's far more vocal than he ever was you know he was just he was um she's she is actually a very easygoing baby but he was like a super easygoing baby so (laughs) obviously when she cries I'm like oh my goodness you know what what's going on what's she you know wanting and invariably it's just a cuddle but yes we we all go through that and I think we will always continue to go through that so yeah you're absolutely right it's very important to just take a deep breath relax and we we learn it we learn it as they get bigger so moving on um we had a listener question and whilst we're on about coming home from hospital let's stay on that tack for the moment um we had a listener around uh, question around what to put your baby to sleep in uh when they get home and that they're anxious about SIDS um so perhaps we can have a bit of a chat around this at the minute I remember coming home from hospital with Amandine we came home I think at about six o'clock in the evening I'd given birth at 8.30 in the morning and I had no idea what to put her in to sleep. I had all of these wonderful things like baby grows and vest tops and um, grow bags and all this kind of stuff, but I just didn't know what to put her into sleep. So one of my top recommendations to new mums, which I always repeat on the podcast, is if you have the possibility, if you have the ability to have an idea or lay out what you think they might sleep in for the first night when you get home, just in case you get home late and you need to change them and make them comfortable, have an idea of what it's going to look like so you don't worry like I did. Um, Mm. And what would you recommend to new mums out there if they're coming home quite late on in the evening to pop their little ones into sleep? Very, very good question. I mean, I think it depends on what the weather is currently doing. Um, You know, when we had that massively sort of hot, hot, hot spell, um, that would very much differ to your baby being born in winter. So as a rule of thumb, you always say whatever we would be more comfortable in. So let's say we would go to bed in um, a nighty or pajamas and we would be under a duvet. Your baby should be in, let's say, um, so let's say equivalent of to our pajamas would be the baby in a in a in a romper suit so then I would you the baby should be in one more layer so the baby should be in a Vesta romper and also a sort of a snuggly little sort of either grow bag or you know quite a nice sort of cellular um blanket swaddle or something like that yes Uh, so it's very much like the baby needs to have one more layer than we're having so particularly when they're very very little they can find it very difficult to thermoregulate um so i mean in in hospital we tend to keep the hospitals incredibly warm about 24 degrees when you go home we um, recommend it's between about 18 to 21 and in hospital they all for the first 24 hours anyway you we we have your baby in a vest uh, a romper suit so like a baby grow and we normally have your baby in a hat and we normally have like a little cellular blanket on it, don't we? Um, wow, so, yes. but after the first 24 hours, your baby should not have a hat on indoors. So that's one thing I would say. So after the first 24 hours, hat off baby, unless you are obviously going outside. Um, but if you do have a particularly cold home, I would I would um, probably put an extra layer on your baby. Um, and yeah, normally we would say a vest, a baby grow, and then like a sort of nice warm cellular blanket or one of those sort of grow bag um, sort of affairs. Yes. 
which I think are brilliant because they do just take quite a lot of the worry away from yeah. having a blanket being kicked up over the face, Absolutely. especially in newborns. Absolutely. And the other thing to say, as you were mentioning with SIDS, um, what um, their sort of current uh, way to sleep a baby is is always on its back. Um, so you always put your baby to sleep on its back. You always make sure that the toes are touching the bottom of the cot or whatever it is sleeping in. And you make sure that the um, there's no the, um, cuddly toys around the baby's head or in the cot that could potentially fall on the baby. Um, that baby um, obviously is not does not have um, smoke around it. Um, it's not excessively hot. And that the blankets the baby are in are either tucked um, underneath the, the mattress or something so it cannot to shoulder level so the baby cannot pull it over its head. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very important that that is firm or obviously it's in a grow bag that the grow bag is of a sort of appropriate size for the baby so it can't sort of wriggle through sort of the head hole absolutely let's move on to breastfeeding um now obviously there is and i also want to cover bottle feeding as well because a, a fed baby is what we're looking for um but breastfeeding so what would your top tips be for a new mum who is perhaps just struggling a little bit to breastfeed or finding it uncomfortable so I think my my first top tip would be I person this is personal but I do personally believe that nearly all mummies feel discomfort when they breastfeed initially I I, out of hundreds of women I maybe know a handful of women that have had absolutely no discomfort whatsoever so I think it can be completely normal to feel some discomfort with breastfeeding so please if you are feeling some discomfort don't be disheartened that you're doing it wrong because the chances are you're not it's basic I see it as like breaking in sort of like a pair of shoes as in Mm. our nipples are not used to being breastfed on 12 times a day Mm. so there is that you know it just they do just need to have a bit of um yeah breaking in really I don't know what your experience was but I've I'm I'm currently breastfeeding and my second and I was my first and I had I, I always think that the first two weeks is the sort of the most challenging um and just keep with it um, and then I think at two weeks, you tend to have a watershed moment where it will get significantly easier. Then I think from two to four weeks, it should get steadily better, better and better. And I think normally by four weeks, you, it's plain sailing. Yes, I definitely uh, found that. I had first couple of weeks was really, really rather uncomfortable. I ended up exactly how you say, breaking in a new pair of shoes. I ended up having blisters on my nipples. I don't think my latch was quite right for sure, but um, ended up having bleeding nipples, which was quite unpleasant. But I mm-hmm. got through, and with lots and lots and lots and lots of nipple cream, um, yeah. we got through the other side. And now it is my favourite thing, and I am struggling to think about letting it go now. Amandine's a year, so yeah, um, you do come out the other side. You do absolutely, yes. Yeah. So, so top tips I would say is a just you know. It, I, I do get support with somebody watching how you do it so yes. so get, get support from your midwife so if if they're like yes actually you're doing it well have please believe in yourself like it will get better and and I I, I just I think so what one is I think sort of tr- trust in what you're doing if you if somebody's seen you do it and they're like yes you're doing it well if you feel like it's still not getting better please ask that midwife to come back ask your community midwife to come back so 
the community midwife relationship with the the postnatal mummy is very much one of support. So if you need more support, please ask them to come back. So if they say, if you're, let's say, day two postnatally, and they're not coming back till day five, actually say, please, I really, really would like and need a visit tomorrow. And they will come back because that is the role of the midwife. And, you know, we should be supporting um, the mummies with feeding their babies. So please do. Um, I think people feel that because midwives are busy and which they are, but, you know, but it is our job and it's such an important part of our job to try and um, support mummies in the first, you know, weeks with successful breastfeeding because we know that leads on to, you know, we have a great sort of statistic of breastfeeding in the first two weeks and then that drops off like ridiculously because the support then goes. So please do get that support in the early days. So so ask. Um, The other thing I would say, as you brought up, is do have um, a nipple cream Mm. Um, because keeping your nipples moisturised um, really, really helps from them not cracking um, in between. And the other thing that I came across actually with this um, experience for myself of breastfeeding is I had a lot of um, pain with my my daughter um, this time round, and I was sure I was doing it right. And I had colleagues check, and Annika, it's going brilliantly. And I had I had also bleeding with her breastfeeding, and I didn't know what I was doing you know, and I, I think it just took time. But um, a colleague of mine recommended something and it's called, they are called silver nipple shields. So it's a solid silver, very thin nipple shield that you put onto your nipple whilst you are not breastfeeding. And it, the, it, um, the silver has um, antiseptic and healing qualities. And they, they literally, they um, healed my nipples um, far quicker than anything else um, would have done. So that's another thing you can try is is having silver nipple shields. And actually, since having had my little one, I was speaking to a friend who lives in Switzerland, and they recommend that all women buy these as preventative rather than cure. Um, and they recommend that as soon as you have your baby, start putting on the silver nipple shields in between breastfeeds, and they have a very low rate of um, sort of nipple damage. Interesting you say that because I I used them. I did oh, use did them. Oh, did you? But I think my nipples were maybe too far gone because uh-huh. I they didn't work for me. Um, so it's really good to hear a positive story from them because um, I, like you, went off the recommendation of someone else and bought them and um, wore them really from the beginning or when I started to feel the discomfort. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't work for me. Did you use them with nipple cream or not? No, you're meant to li- use them without the nipple cream. Yes, you know, I did that. Maybe, maybe no. my nipples just weren't into the silver. <laughs> oh, no. Well, yes. And, and that's a brilliant um, talking point, isn't it? That it, it worked for me, but it didn't work for you. So, yeah. yes, I mean, I guess... That also shows that, um, you know, do try whichever one you feel is works for you. But I guess one could always start. I do think nipples drying out is a key thing. Um, So I do think the sort of having a, um, you know, either a nipple cream or or some sort of lubricant for the nipple um, really does help. Maybe as a first off and then, yeah, one can try the the nipple shields as, as a secondary. See what works. So for those mums listening who may be wanting that it's uh, wanting to stop or to slow down breastfeeding, for me, instance, um, you know, I'm at a year now and looking into the future, there will be a point when I will want to stop. Mm-hmm. What are the top tips to 
to stop? I think I think one of the things to really think about is what what is either your favorite breastfeed or the baby's favorite breastfeed. And I would try and keep that one as the sort of last one to let go of. Mm-hmm. So I would probably always um, advise to start with the easiest one to let go of. So um, I, I quite often that tends to be, let's say, like the midday one or the, you know, the one in the middle of the day, because obviously the, the the last one at night is a lovely one because it's settling your little one down. And the one that the first thing in the morning is sort of a lovely one because you're waking up and you get your close time together and you get a breastfeed. So I would always personally recommend to start start sort of slowing down with the easiest one for you personally to sort of let go of or that the baby seems less interested in. Quite often one will find um, so with my son, Rordy, I actually, I um, ended up breastfeeding him till he was just over two because wow. I absolutely loved breastfeeding. And um, yeah, I found it really hard to give up. Yeah. Actually. And I, what I always really wanted him to do was for him to decide when he wanted to give up, um, which he didn't do. So I sort of, <laughs> I did have to sort of decide when, but I mean, we, we, we sort of, um, and it actually happened in a way that, um, I, the last one I kept was the one, um, the morning one, because I loved that snuggle in bed with him in the morning. And it would give me and my husband another half an hour in bed together. And we'd all just sort of snuggle together and I'd give him a breastfeed. Mm. Um, and actually one morning, my husband just didn't take him in. So we didn't sort of didn't bring him him into me when he got him out of bed when he woke up. And actually, Rordy never batted an eyelid and never really looked back. So he was sort of at a a time anyway so I think so my point of saying that is quite often you'll be quite pleasantly surprised at how it can be quite easy so I would just be I'd try and be led by sort of your child and the one you think they will find it easiest to drop because obviously then that's less stressful on us like for for with our little one you know finding it quite nice and easy um and I would do that one over over I would sort of stop doing that one and I would do that at least for a couple of weeks if, if not even longer before you start thinking about dropping the next one. So I always think it's nice to leave a month or two, you know, for, for cutting it down or stopping it. So it's a gentle transition, not a, oh, my gosh, you know, my mummy's stopped this wonderful thing that I'm having. So it's nice on for them and nice for you. Mm, that's brilliant advice. So how did you introduce your new daughter to your son? Any tips around that? Very much so. I mean, I think... Firstly, it is um, the the family needs to do what it feels comfortable with. And we are all different. And I appreciate we all have very different um, sort of cultures and beliefs and things. So obviously that needs to be taken into consideration. But I think the the key thing that all the literature says and all of the uh, my midwife colleagues said to me and I've said to, you know, hundreds and hundreds of women is it's very important for the first meeting that the mummy and the dad, well, it depends if the, if the daddy or the partner is bringing the little one in, then obviously they're not going to have their arms full. But it's really important for normally both parents' arms to be open to the older sibling or siblings. Mm. So normally having the little one either, you know, lying on the bed or in the Moses basket so that when they come into the room or they are first meet their little brother or sister, both mummy and daddy um, have arms open for the elder sibling. Um, so they know that, you know, mummy and daddy always have time for them and that this lovely new little sibling is not taking their place. 
So that is the the, the four and f- first most sort of thing I would say is really important. So um, quite often what we find in the hospital is the dad will be bringing or, or the um, partner will be bringing the um, little one in and um, they normally just give the mummy a heads up just before they're heading in to be like, I'm coming in now from the car park. Um, so the mummy knows to stop breastfeeding or be like, actually, can you give me another 10, 15 minutes? So the feed is finished and the little one will be down and settled. Yes. So I think sort of want a nice, calm environment. And yes, if the little one is the, the, the newborn is very, very irate, I would wait until that has has settled down so when the little one comes in it's sort of as calm calm as can be because you don't want the the new um li, uh, the the newborns you know crying and being really really hungry whilst the sort of older ones trying to come in and sort of meet its new um new new siblings for the first time um or ta- um in addition to that quite often and um, what a lot of people like to do is um an exchange of gifts um, so that the um, old sibling will buy a present for the newborn and the newborn buys a present for the older sibling. So it's an exchange of gifts mutually uh, of something they think they might both be interested in. That's so lovely. I love, I'd never thought about having the arms open, both of you having the arms open to welcome um, your yeah, eldest. Awesome. I think that's really lovely and so important. Yeah. You're right. Okay, last thing that I wanted to touch on was, and I guess these these things, I guess, come together, is a bit about having sex for the first time post-birth. I think this can be quite a challenging topic um, for new mums, sometimes to explain to dads, maybe, and it might even be the other way around sometimes. But what are your thoughts around that? And obviously, that has you know, depends on how you've recovered after having your baby as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the type of birth you have can can have a massive impact. And also your birth experience, I think, has a massive impact on um, when one can even start thinking about it or when one is sort of wanting to do it. I mean, I think from from a sort of um, medical point of view, um, it's really important to not do it too soon. By that, I mean make sure you've had your sort of GP six or eight week check before you start doing it just to make sure that if any stitches have happened, you have they're healed or the C-section scar is appropriately healed. Um, so I, I wouldn't sort of, um, I wouldn't, yeah, I just, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be sort of, uh, thinking of doing it any sooner than that. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be advising women to do it any sooner than that. Um, and I, yeah, it's just, it's, it's so individual. I mean, I think what's really important is to have open dialogue with your other half about it and to be as honest as possible because you want it to be, um, you know, a lovely thing and not to feel pressurized. Um, and also for it to be comfortable because obviously it can feel a bit different post-birth as well. It doesn't for everybody. For some people, it feels exactly the same, but for some people it can feel quite different. So I think sort of just, yeah, opening up dialogue really to have a chat about it with your other half um, and just sort of seeing what they're thinking, them seeing what you're thinking. And um, I think invariably it does sort of naturally happen at some point and is to not worry about it also. I think a lot of the, the time, you know, it, it's always been a lot better than people have been thinking, let's mm. say. Brilliant. Thank you so, so much. Well, Annika, I really appreciate all of that insight um, around 
pre and postnatal really so thank you so so much now let's talk is there anything else that you'd like to add before I um before we move on to chatting about Komu um not really I mean I, I guess the most important thing to say is you know if you're at all unsure about anything please do please do just ask like as a midwife we are here to try and inform and answer questions and support and that is what we get great enjoyment in our job from doing so please just ask us I, I my most thing I always say to um sort of the women I see is you know no no question is is silly it really isn't and it's often the ones we feel are the silliest are actually the most important ones we should be asking mm. so yeah do just always ask Thank you so much. Right, let's talk about Komu, which I guess is kind of your third child and also Sarah. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. So I joined baby. Yay! <laughs> so tell so us, another one. <laughs> tell us all about Komu and what it offers to parents out there who have just had a baby. Sure. Um, well, I can probably table this because I can not tell you anything about it. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was, um, it basically stemmed from an idea that Annika had and I had together. She always mentioned that, you know, postnatal care wasn't what it could be in terms of supporting parents. And it was just super important because obviously you bring home this gorgeous bundle and then it's like, what do you do now? You know, everyone has the antenatal care and they're really focused on that, but nobody really thinks about what to do when you come home. Mm. So um, Annika had mentioned this and, um, yeah, we just came up with the idea and it was a while ago now to sort of offer parents sort of like a digital kit. So it's an online resource. So um, it's a website and it's an app called Teachable. And on there, we've created this sort of resource for postnatal support. So we've, as well as Annika, we've teamed up with, uh, there's 19 postnatal experts in total. Wow. So we have sort of a feeding specialist. So Claire, she talks, she's actually amazing. She taught Kate Winslet and Kate Beckinsale to feed. So she really like, you know, she knows her stuff and also obviously hundreds of uh, non-celebrities, but we have like mm-hmm. a feeding section. There's um, a sleep section. There's a maternal mental health section who I think, you know, Michaela, who you yes. have the podcast, who've got her on there. There's also, um, there's for me personally, I really wanted to put a section on preparing your dog to meet your newborn because we have a rescue dog and we were a bit nervous about that. So we've covered that. Um, Annika talks you through all the postnatal elements of what to expect. And um, yeah, there's maternal nutrition, there's exercise on there. So I think now we have about 40, I want to say 41 or 42. They're all videos and audios. So you can watch them at your own pace. Um, you know, you can go back to them. What we always say to parents is when, you know, purchase the kit ahead of time, almost treat it like your antenatal like learning. And then you know all this, like you learn how to breastfeed. Annika talks you through, you know, positions you can trial and, um, you know, when to start and when to stop and et cetera. And she talks you through all this as do our other experts. So it's important to look at it all prenatally, but then refer to it back postnatally when you'll probably start putting everything into practice. And we wanted to do something which, I mean, as you know, Emma, when you're a new mum, you know, for those first few weeks, you know, you're a bit nervous about leaving the house. So the idea was, you know, do something which you can do from the comfort of your own home. So you're not having to go out and meet, you know, new lactation specialists or a sleep specialist or... um, I think the other really important thing for Annika and I was obviously Annika is a trained midwife. 
we wanted to bring people on board who had that expertise and were trained in it. So mm. instead of having to Google, you know, lactation specialists and wondering if they're, you know, they have all the qualifications you want, we sourced all these people knowing that they're going to provide, you know, the top advice to new mums and dads when they kind of just need to be sort of hand fed it almost because, you know, you've got enough going on when you have a new baba to start thinking about all this other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, that was just our idea behind it. Annika came up with it and I sort of helped to put it into practice, really. So, um, and yeah. it is a brilliant resource. I've been through it and I also loved the section on uh, introducing your baby to your dog. And I get asked that question so much. I only just posted a picture of um, Amandine with our family dog who actually lives with my mum and um, got so many questions on how did you introduce your baby to your dog? What would you recommend? So, if you're listening now and you really don't know how to do that, then go and check out Komu. So where can people find it? Do you want to share the link? Yeah, so it's basically www.babykomu.co.uk. Um, so, yeah, so we have our full kit on there. The other thing to say is what we've recently done, actually, is we've um, broken out into mini kits as well. So say, for example, you know, you you basically you've got the sleeping element nailed you've got the feeding element nailed but you you're concerned about the dog element we've now got smaller kits um, which are even more affordable so you can just pull out those things brilliant and give us some of the package uh kind of breakdowns the prices and things that people would be looking at yeah so um the actual full kit is 30 pounds but then the mini kits are just six pounds each so oh, wow, um, brilliant. i think uh, yeah, they're really cheap. We just basically felt that as a parent, Annika and I both know, mm. and you know, it's super expensive. And yeah. you're constantly being recommended things to buy things. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to keep it as affordable as possible. But yeah, also, so get as many people. yeah, so as many people as possible will use it and feel supported. And, you know, it's a fraction of the price. When you think about how much, you know, um, all these experts would cost on a standalone basis. At oh, least gosh, yeah. by using the kit, it gives you, you know, that help and it might actually get you through without having to go to the next step is what we're really aiming for. So we're all sort of about mum supporting mums mm. here at Komu. So, yeah. Well, it's, it is fantastic. I know it's fantastic. It's brilliant. It's given me a lot of support. So thank you both very, very much for creating something for us new parents out there who need a little bit of support thank you uh-huh. thank very you well, very much for having us on the podcast <laughs> yes thank you so much for joining it's been great great chat so thank you huge huge thank you to Annika and Sarah for joining me on the podcast today did anyone hear any of those cute little baby noises of Annika's new little baby I so miss recording the podcast with Amandine curled up on my lap or on my boob feeding. I miss it so much. I wish she would still do it now, but there's just no way I can record the podcast when she's awake anymore. I have to do it when she's sleeping (laughs) or when Hendrik's taken her out. Otherwise, she's way too noisy. If you are listening back to the podcast and you have any questions, then please, please, please make sure that you DM me over on Mum Talk Podcast and I'll get those questions answered for you or I will try and remember to put a box up on my Instagram stories, a question box, and you can pop them in there and I'll get them answered for you. Otherwise, email me on mumtalkpodcast at gmail.com. I will be back next week with another podcast. I hope you all have a lovely rest of your week and a lovely weekend. Lots of love to you all. Bye. Mum Talk Series 5 is supported by Bugaboo, a world of innovative products that give every parent the confidence and freedom for the journey ahead.
And we've got this for Mum Talk podcast listeners, a 10% saving on Bugaboo products available this month, October 2019. So visit bugaboo.com forward slash mum talk using promo code mumtalk10 at checkout, capital letters, and choose the pram, pushchair, stroller, car seat or accessory to suit your lifestyle. Terms and conditions apply. Bugaboo reserve the right to terminate this offer at any time. 